0: Well, good morning, church. Let's do some Romans today. What do you think? Amen. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Took a little break from Romans. Actually, we began Romans, I believe, this time last year. So here we are, still in it. Romans 13, we're making our way through, and you look at the three or four verses we're looking at today, and you're thinking, well, it's going to be still a while Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10, Romans chapter 13. The good news is, is the text is short. The bad news is, is that my little clock up here, the battery's dead. And so, uh, here we go. Let's look together at Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. This is a words the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for inspiring Paul to write these critical truths for us to hear. Father, would you now help us to receive this instruction in a way that transforms us and brings you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, We do find ourselves here back in the book of Romans today, and I think it would be helpful maybe to do a little recap. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, Paul's introduction. He identifies the original recipients of this letter in verse 7. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now that's beautiful language, isn't it? He's writing to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. That language takes on much greater meaning especially as you continue reading because it's in really chapters one through three that we begin to see just how unlovely we really are for him to say that we're loved by God and called to be saints we we begin to read through these early chapters of Romans all the way through the 21st verse or the 20th verse of chapter three and that's where we see just how bad we really are both Jews and Gentiles are fallen sinners Then it's in chapter 3, verse 21, where Paul begins to unpack how the righteousness of God has been made available through faith in Jesus Christ. How though we are sinners, how we are unlovely, how we are ungodly in these first three chapters, how now through faith in Jesus Christ we can now be declared righteous. We are right in God's sight through faith. That lasts all the way through chapter 6 as Paul unpacks that chapter after chapter of the beautiful reality that we are now saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to chapter 7 and especially chapter 8 and you begin to see that there Paul reminds us how, how we as recipients of this salvation are under no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And you get to the end of chapter 8. Not only is there no condemnation, we found that there is no separation. We're no longer condemned and we will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure. We are kept. We are His. And then you get into those deep chapters of chapters 9, 10, and 11 where Paul begins to unpack in great detail how God has worked all of this out from the very beginning among the Jews and among the Gentiles and how he's brought us together to be the one people of God. And then in chapter 12, there's a pretty significant transition. You get to chapter 12 of the book of Romans and after Paul has labored for 11 chapters of this amazing wealth of information about the glorious reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and that's where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God unpacked for you in these first 11 chapters, by these very mercies I appeal to you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And begins this new section of Romans as he begins to unpack for us this very practical, very, uh, very practical response to the gospel. Not only does the gospel save us, the gospel now gives us a, a new direction in which to live from, towards. It shapes our lives. We begin to see how that unfolds there. In, in chapter 12, we, we saw how we all have gifts, gifts of grace to use. And, In chapter 12, you see, verses 9 through 21, how we're called to live in a loving community. And even in chapter 13, we saw how we're called, because of the gospel, to live honorably as citizens, wherever we may find ourselves. And then we get to verse 8, where we are today. So here we have this great letter that Paul wrote inspired by the Spirit, that shows us in the first 11 chapters how the gospel saves us, and now in these latter chapters how the gospel shapes us. And that's where we find ourselves today, particularly in these verses, where we are called to love. Love is a frequent theme, especially in these chapters when we find ourselves in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And when we begin to see how, how the Lord instructs us about love, we see how living in a relationship with other people, matters greatly to God. It was Charles Spurgeon that once said, the grace of love is absolutely essential to true godliness. The grace of love is absolutely essential to true godliness. Notice here in verse 8, this is the command that we see. Really, this is the the point of the message today. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, That's the main point. That's what we're called to. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Here he describes love as a debt of sorts. Something we're to give, something that we owe to others. Most of us work hard at trying to get out of debt, and here Paul tells us there's actually a debt you owe and should owe and should never pay off, and that is to love each other. So I want us to unpack this a bit this morning as we're going to look at two facts about this love. Two facts about this love that we owe each other. Pretty simple and straightforward this morning. Number one, num- fact number one about this love that we owe. Number one, love is a permanent debt. Love is a permanent debt. You see that in verse eight. Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, Paul is writing in the same context in which he just wrote in verse 7, where he's telling us, pay to all that is owed them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor it is owed. And so Paul is in this, this mode, if you will, of telling us, listen, what you owe, you need to pay. And then he comes in verse 8, and it's almost as if he, he doesn't really change gears a bit, but he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. I think it's important to notice what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. Some will often use verse 8 of chapter 13 as a reference, a proof text, to say that all forms of debt are wrong. That is not what this verse is teaching. We find neither in the Old or New Testament that neither testament categorically forbids borrowing and lending. In fact, it assumes that that's going to take place, and it gives us instruction as to how we should go about that. Now, I'm not saying this text just gives you permission to go and get into to mess of debt. It's not talking about that at all either. We go to many passages where it talks about lending, and if you lend, not to charge interest, and if you borrow, you need to pay back your debts, etc. All he's doing here is he's transitioning out of verse 7 now to to instruct us about love. He's saying, listen, you need to pay your debts. Owe no one anything. Fulfill your obligations. Pay your debt, but there is a debt that will always be unpaid. And that is to love each other. That is to love each other. He's simply saying promptly fulfill your obligation, but there's one obligation that will never be paid off. And that is our call to love. And there are three facts about this love that we need to, to consider. Three facts about this debt in particular that we should consider. Notice the nature of it. Owe no one anything except to love each other implied here is that we have an unending responsibility to love each other. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter, right? We can read all that Paul says there about love. And in verse 8, he just simply says, love never ends. Never ends. The early church father, Origen, summed it up pretty well when he wrote, Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you should always be attempting to, to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging it. Think about it. Always attempting to discharge in full, but never fully discharging love. Listen, there's never going to be a time when you as a Christian can say, I've loved all I need to love. They should write a song about that or something, right? There probably is one. There's, you, there, there'll never be a point in your life where you'll be like, all right, that's all I've got. I'm loving no more. That, that's not the case for us. This is something that we will be responsible towards other people to, to fulfill all of our days. So the nature of this debt we owe, it's a permanent debt. And I know with, using this word debt seems negative. We, we think of debt that is almost in a negative sense, but this is a positive thing. Well, who do we owe this debt to? Second aspect about this, who is it that we owe this debt to? The objects of our debt. Who who are they? Notice it says in verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. Each other is the object. Later on we see a reference in verse 9 to our neighbor. Well, who, 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 who does this include? Who is each other? Who is our neighbor? Well, Certainly, it's crystal clear from Scripture that we obviously have a responsibility to love other believers. You go back to chapter 12, and you see in verses 9 through 21, there is a variety of different ways that we're called to love one another as fellow Christians. Paul here quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Here in this text, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There we know in context uh, in Leviticus that that neighbor most, most likely had a reference to the fellow Israelite. But what about, is that the extent of our obligation to love? Are we called strictly and only to love our fellow Christians? We know that that's the case. Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know you're my disciples, by the love that you have for each other. We know that we have a clear responsibility and joyful obligation to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. See it clearly in the New Testament. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But are we to love those outside of the church? And when we read the Bible, we have to answer that question with an absolute yes. I think that we can go to many places. The parable of the Good Samaritan makes that clear. The lawyer comes to Jesus inquiring how one inherits eternal life, and Jesus asked him what's written in the law, and the lawyer summed it up well, stating, well, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves." He says, you've answered correctly. And then he tells this parable to teach what this neighborly love looks like. may very well include someone unknown to us and someone that we may have even viewed as our enemy. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Brothers and sisters, our posture as followers of Jesus Christ is to be a posture of love towards everyone everyone, even the most unlovely of people. And when you have a very difficult time doing that, when you're like, listen, I get it. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I I have a very hard time of loving this particular person. Just pause a moment and go look in the mirror and remind yourself that God loved you. But God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus didn't die for lovely people. He died for unlovely people. He died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies. He died for the very ones that rebelled against him and rejected him. I know it can be difficult, I know that it can be a challenge for us to love each other, but our posture is to be a posture of love because that is what the gospel is, right? God so loved us. God so loved the world. God so gave himself for us. So the objects of this debt is everyone. Everyone. But what about the reason? We find also a reason here. As to why we should do this. Owe no one anything except to love each other for, because, here's the reason, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You may think, well, I thought Jesus fulfilled the law. What do you mean I'm supposed to fulfill the law? Well, ob- obviously Jesus fulfills the law. He, he, he lives in accordance to it and, and completes its requirement. Paul is not saying That we are called to fulfill the law as some kind of means of grace to inherit eternal life. That's not at all what he's saying. He's writing to Christians to tell them, Love each other, for one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul's not saying just focus on love and forget the other commands. As, as if that would be the fulfillment of the law. Nor is he saying that we are still qu- required to keep the Mosaic law as some kind of means to, to salvation. We know that the law saves no one. We're justified by faith. But out of gratitude, we are then motivated to live in accordance with the, with the law of God. The law, remember Paul says, is good. It condemns you, but it is good because In the law, God pours out himself to to help teach us what he is like, what he is about, his moral character. And these timeless moral norms that carry from the Mosaic law, even into the New Testament. Paul, I think it's in Galatians, talks about the law of Christ. We see many of these same things repeated in the New Testament. and He's he's calling us merely to, to give ourselves in this way, as a reflection of the character of God. In essence, what Paul is saying here is this. The one who loves properly performs the law. It sums up all that the law says. So when we are truly loving others, we are walking in step with the law. So in that way, the law and love are not enemies at all. So in summary here, we see as we talk about love being a permanent debt We have a lifelong, permanent responsibility to love our neighbor, to love each other, yes, in the church, and yes, outside of the church, because this love is in step with the very character of God as it's expressed in the law. So this is a permanent thing. There's not gonna be a time where you can say, okay, I've loved as much as I can possibly love, therefore I'm not loving anymore. Number two, fact number two about this love. Love is not only a permanent debt, it's a measurable debt. We find that in verses 9 and 10. You know, everyone talks about love, right? Everybody talks about it. Countless songs, love songs, right? Start humming those songs, right? Countless songs have been written about love. We use it in our everyday language, don't we? Almost to the point of where we've lost its true meaning. Right? Right? I love the beach. I love to watch football. Well, what does that mean? You love to watch football, or I love to do this. So in one sense, love is something everyone talks about, but I would say very few truly understand. Or often confuse, or weaken, we could say. Thankfully, God does not leave us hanging, does he? He actually defines love, and he gives us commandments so that we know what love looks like, so that it's measurable. Love is not just some kind of oozy feeling inside of us where we just kind of go with that feeling. That's not love at all. God, in his infinite wisdom and kindness and grace towards us, he gives us law so that we can actually look at the law and say, this is what holiness looks like. This is what love looks like. It's measurable. It's different than what the culture says. Culture defines love based on feeling, but the Bible defines love based on commandments. Big difference. Like what Tom Schreiner said as he wrote about this, he he says, if love is cut free from any commandments, it easily dissolves into sentimentality, and virtually any course of action can then be defined as loving. You, you take love and you detach it from the commandments of God, and then love becomes whatever you want it to be. So in verse 10, Paul says, for example, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Pretty easy to understand. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. How then do we know what, what is right or wrong? Who gets to define that without commandments? How would we know what it would mean to what it would be to harm our neighbor? We would just come up with our own rules, we would just come up with our own ways of evaluating whether or not we love or whether or not we harm our neighbor. So, law and love, friends, are not enemies, they are connected. Pastor Tony Morita down at um, Imago Day Church in Raleigh said this He says, Without Christ, the law is powerless, but without law, Love is directionless. Friends, the law shows us how to love. It teaches us how to love. Notice here that Paul exhorts us to love, and then he quotes from what many call the second table of the of the law, the second half of the, the second part of the Ten Commandments. We know the first half is more vertical in its, in its relationship between us and God in the second table of the Ten Commandments, more horizontal in how we relate to our fellow man. Here he identifies several of the commandments from that second table of the law. He says, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 9, the, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. This commandment teaches us that love highly values the dignity and worth of others. This is why... This is why you can never commit adultery and claim it was out of love. It's impossible to commit adultery out of love. Why is that? Because it breaks the commandments. This is a big one because people often justify adultery based on the basis of love. Well, I just don't love my spouse anymore. Well, I just fell in love with this other person and feel like God wants me to be happy. Wrong. Because I have a commandment that says... Love does not equal adultery. You might have a lot of feeling in your heart, but it's not love if you've committed adultery or committing adultery. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. Listen, it's not very loving to kill somebody. All right? Pretty straightforward on that one. You should not steal It's not very loving to say, hey man, appreciate you and just let me swipe 50 bucks from you while you're not looking. It's not very loving to take someone's stuff. Love actually helps others flourish, not take from them. You should not covet. Again, this is, this is a, a critical one because it deals with our desires. Coveting often can't be seen. It deals more with our heart wanting someone wanting what someone else has you are not loving them when you covet you are loving you when you covet so again you see how the law teaches us what love looks like these are just very straight commands from the ten commandments and and examples that paul uses to show us that love can be measured if there's not some kind of standard that defines and helps us understand love, then, then it just becomes this mess of whatever you want it to be. And that's what the world does. They say this equals love. But when you begin to measure it up to the, the character and nature of God as it's expressed in the commandments, you begin to understand, well, that, that's not the same thing. So how does, this, how does the law teach us to love? A couple of things here. First of all, love should be genuine. If we're honest, we need to be careful when we think about love and commandments. Because you could be tempted to see only the action or non action of the commandment as love. So let me put it this way love is more than simply not violating certain commandments. For example, go to the commandments. I've not cheated on my spouse, so I must love her. I've not stolen from others, so therefore I must love them. I've not killed you, so I must love you. Jesus had something to say about anger, didn't he? Being kind of the same. So, so just not violating a commandment doesn't automatically mean you're loving others. So we need to be careful that we don't become this mechanical, legalistic person that we just check the box. I've not done these things, therefore I must love people. Right? Listen, as thankful as we are that you've not killed any of us or stolen from us, the mere action doesn't guarantee that you love us. You go back to chapter 12, verse 9, look at what Paul says. Let love be genuine. True love compels us to value the dignity and worth of others, true love compels us to genuinely care. So let's let love be genuine. That's a good place to start. It needs to be pure. It needs to be true. Just because you may treat someone kindly doesn't mean that you're not grumbling in your heart about them or bitter because they have something you don't have. Let love be genuine. But also, number two, let love be practical. Again, this is where the commandments help us. Quoting from Leviticus 19, Paul says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not a commandment to love yourself. It's merely an acknowledgement that you probably love yourself. You don't have to be told to love yourself. It's not a command to, you therefore must love God, and you must love others, and you must love yourself. It just simply says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Bible assumes you're going to love yourself. It comes natural. No one has to be told to love him or herself. How do we love ourselves? What does that look like? Well, it's not some kind of psychotic infatuation with yourself where I I walk around and say, Adam, I'm really glad you're in my life, man. You know, I just really feel connected to you. I mean, that's crazy. That's not what we're talking about. It's more like, hey, Adam, belly's empty. Let's get some food, right? Taking care of my basic needs, making sure that, 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 hey, listen, The way I love myself is I'm gonna make sure I'm doing okay, right? Whether that's whether I'm hungry, whether I'm tired and need sleep, whatever it is, I'm I'm making sure I'm gonna go out of my way even at times, right? To to make sure that my needs are being addressed. So that's what we're talking about here. When we're talking about love, we're, we're caring for ourselves, and that's what the Bible's saying. Love your neighbor like you do you, right? Love your neighbor like you care for your own needs. Love your neighbor like you're watching out for your own physical needs and spiritual needs, emotional needs. Do that for them. So if that's true, then loving our neighbor as ourselves means that we will be looking to help meet the basic needs of others around us. It means that we will look around us and see with intentionality what people need it means that we're listen to others and we will put ourselves in a position to serve and bless other people. That's what it means to love, that we pour ourselves out into the lives of others to care for them, to, to be concerned about the things that concern them, even if it doesn't concern us. It means that we will pour ourselves into the lives of others to make sure that their basic needs and maybe more are being met. Without being asked. It's doing Romans 12 kinds of things. Look at back at Romans 12, 9 through 21. I know we preach through this, but, but this is what we're talking about. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Here's one. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, what, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. Look at this, enemies. If your enemy is hungry, don't just look at him and say, Tough! Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are just... Practical ways to love people. Practical ways to love people. Loving others means that we must put ourselves in the lives of other people because, listen, love works best in proximity. Just because you like somebody's Facebook post doesn't mean you love them. Just because you got a little cute comment doesn't mean that person really loves you. Love works best in proximity when you're engaged and involved in each other's lives, when you're having dinner with each other, when you're looking at people in the eye and you're weeping with them and you're rejoicing with them in the good times. That's what love looks like. So to state it again, love is not merely avoiding the violation of a commandment. It's looking for ways to bless and serve people. To speak on behalf of those who are suffering. The lowly. The outcast. The one who is disregarded. It is to care for the things that concern them. We could go to so many passages in scripture that just tease and flesh this out for us. So home group leaders, that's your job this week. Help us understand what this looks like more and more just in practice. so you begin to see love is, is not just this feeling thing. And I don't want to say love doesn't involve our feelings, but it's not just feelings where you're just emotionally connected to someone. Love is very practical, and it serves people. Let's look back at the, at the commandments. Let me just kind of walk this through these commandments for a minute. Because sometimes I think we see the Ten Commandments as merely the do not do these things. There's just as much do something in the commandments as not to do something. Right, so let's look at adultery. Do not commit adultery. What, is, what does this mean when it comes to loving people? Well, loving your spouse doesn't mean just avoiding adultery. A husband may say, hey, I must love my wife because I've not cheated on her. Well, that's a great place to start. But we're called to more than that. We're called to think about how you can lay down your life for her. How are you blessing her? How are you encouraging her? How are you washing her with the water of the word? How are you encouraging her to flourish? It implies, the commandment implies that we ought to take great care in delighting in our husband or wife, the one that we've been given. And we care for them. What about murder? Murder. Loving others is not merely avoiding killing them. Although I'm sure they're grateful. Recall that Jesus said that whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Love then means that we are called to value the image of God in others. To assume the best in them. To extend grace to them. To show compassion to them. Just simply not killing someone, is not Necessarily an act of love. It's called to extend grace. What about stealing? It's good that you may have not taken from others, but listen, it's also a call for us to be generous. To be content with the things that we have when we think about coveting. Don't desire to have other stuff, but rejoice with them when they are blessed. Encourage them in their abundance. So you begin to see how the commandments are not just restrictive, and if we just obey the restrictive part of the commandment, then we're good. No, it's called to, yes, avoid these sinful things and, and boundaries, but also it's a, it's a call to give ourselves for the good of these people. Loving our neighbor means that we invest in them. You See, these commandments bring love to life and keeps us from avoiding worldly sentimentalism. That is anemic and weak. Brothers and sisters, we're called here to owe no one anything except to love each other. If we're honest, all that sounds really good, but we know that in real time with real people, it can be quite the challenge. Every single one of us have people in our lives right now that we don't feel like loving. And we have our reasons why. And we can maybe even have a good argument as to why we don't want to love them. Why it is that they make things difficult. Why it is that, but but brothers and sisters, the Lord calls us to look beyond our own selves. (laughs) And and when you begin, when you begin to gaze in in the reality of the gospel of grace, And you begin to realize just how much God set his love and affection on you. And you begin to realize how unworthy you are and how undeserving you were. And yet God poured out his love on you so much so that he sent his son to die for you. To bear the penalty and burden for your own sins so that you can be cleansed and forgiven for all of eternity. And adopted into the family of God. Put in a kingdom forever. God never had to do that. But he chose to because he loved you. Brothers and sisters, I know this is a challenge. I know it's easy for me to stand here and say, you should love everybody. But yet there are people in our lives that make that challenging. I get it. But yet the gospel changes us. It changes, it transforms our hearts and gives us new desires and new affections and new vision so that we commit ourselves afresh and anew to love. Brothers and sisters, we're not left to do this in our own strength. We know that we have the Holy Spirit. You know, this, this, these commandments are like train tracks. I've heard people use this illustration before. They're like train tracks telling us where we need to be and where we need to be heading. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel empower, empowered by the Holy Spirit that is the fuel that, uh, that moves us forward on those tracks. This is not, here's what you got to do, do it. It's, here's what we're called to be. And by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, let's go forward and do it well. Friends, the greatest love we'll ever know is the love that God had for us. He loved us to the point of giving his only son. And it is that love that changes hearts and gives us the capacity to love. John put it well in First John 4, verse 7. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So brothers and sisters, let us be busy loving each other, And loving others well. Not just this week. But the rest of the days God gives us. In other words, let's go forward and love people. Let's do what God does. Let's love people well. For his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this exhortation. This reminder. This calling that we've been given. Father, we know that it's not easy at times to love. We know that there are many excuses, many reasons we can have as to why we shouldn't. But Father, would you help us not to cave to those excuses and justifications? Lord, would you help us to see the beauty of your love? Would you help us to be impacted by the, the reality of the love that you have for us? And Lord, that that gospel love would then shape and form hearts That have the capacity to love even the most unlovely God would you help us do that would you help us to be a loving people a people who care and a people who work hard at loving people Father we know it doesn't come easy nor does it come natural to us but we know that by your grace and by your spirit we can go forth in love so Lord help us to do that we need your help Forgive us for where we've not loved well. Would you help us to do that this day and this week and until Jesus comes again? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.